morning, uh, why don't you open them up to 1 Samuel chapter 8. You can kind of stick your finger in there, we'll, we'll uh, stick your, your bulletin in there, we'll, we'll catch that in just a little bit. But before we get to that, from, from the beginning of time, people have always been having this debate of who is the greatest? Who is the greatest? Or people have always tried to be the greatest, trying to prove themselves of I'm the greatest at this or I'm the greatest at that. And that's why, you know, as a society, we created things like the Olympics or the World Series or the Super Bowl or why we create monuments or statues because we desire to be great. We desire to be the greatest. We desire to honor the greatest and remember the greatest moments. And of course, we live in South Dakota, right? Most of us. Some of you guys maybe live in North Dakota, but that's okay. You're here in South Dakota today. And uh, in South Dakota, we know this because, I mean, on our license plates is Mount Rushmore, right? We're all about Mount Rushmore. That's what we know. It depicts four of our presidents, and, uh, you know, they're remembered through that mountain. What's interesting, though, is lately I've heard Mount Rushmore get used in different terms. It's not just a, a monument. It's, it's not just a carving. But people use it like, like, what is your, your Mount Rushmore? So I, I, I like sports. I listen to a lot of sports stuff. And I hear a lot of broadcasters and hosts, they say something like, you know, this quarterback is on my Mount Rushmore of quarterbacks. And it's just kind of a weird saying. It's like, instead of saying, this guy's on the top four of my quarterbacks of all time, they say, this is my Mount Rushmore of quarterbacks. And then they get really weird and they say things like, you know, this guy is on my Mount Rushmore of left-handed first baseman named Frank. And it's just like, Why? Why do you have a Mount Rushmore of that? Or the other day I was listening to the radio and they're like, you know, let's, let's go through our Mount Rushmore of mac and cheese toppings, you know, because that would be great. Just like, who needs a Mount Rushmore of mac and cheese toppings? You know, it's just weird the way people are using it. And I wonder if these broadcasters and these hosts, if they can even tell you what state Mount Rushmore is in, right? Like, they probably don't even know. But it's weird how that is, has turned into a different saying. It's this term of greatness, because this desire for greatness is wired into humanity. I mean, even among Jesus' disciples, they were constantly arguing. It says a, a debate broke out among them, an argument broke out among them of, over who is the greatest. Or, or one time they said, you know, hey, we want to sit at your right hand, Jesus, in, in the end. You know, they wanted to be the greatest. And this morning, I want to ask you that same question of who is the greatest? Who is the greatest? Now, I'm not talking about the greatest athlete, the, the greatest politician or the greatest leader, but the greatest of all time, the smartest, the strongest, the kindest, the most amazing of all time. Because your answer to this question is going to help you answer the main question of the day of who's your king? Who's the king? Who should you make king of your life? And if you think about it, for most of us, it boils down to two options. You can make God your king, or you can make yourself the king. Those are kind of the two options that all of us come down to. And the question is, who's the greatest? Who will you make your king this morning? So in 1 Samuel chapter 8, uh, at this time, we see that God is the king of Israel. It goes back all the way to the beginning of the Israelites from the moment that Abraham trusted God and, and God made a promise to Abraham. God became the king of Abraham, and in the next generations, he became the king of, of, of Isaac, the king of Jacob. He was the king of the Israelites when, 
they were in captivity and God freed them uh, out of Egypt. He was their king when they went into the promised land and, and uh, all these nations rose up against them. But, but God rose up uh, a judge to, to bring them back. But God was always king. So in 1 Samuel chapter 8, we see that God is, is still king. But the problem is the people start looking around at other nations. And they start seeing like, well, those guys over there, they've got like a king that you can see and a king that sits on a throne and a king who wears a robe and a king who wears a crown and they started thinking we want one of those kings like we we like those kings because we can see them we can't see God but we can we can see that king and so they go to Samuel who is the man of God at that time he was the the prophet and they go to Samuel and they say Samuel we want a king we want one that can sit on a throne we want one that that can lead us so Samuel talks it over with God and uh God tells him, hey, Samuel, all right, make sure they know the fine print of what it means to have a king uh, before we make this happen. And so Samuel tells the people, all right, here's the fine print, right? Kind of like signing up for a credit card. It sounds good. You get all these rewards and all these bonuses. Then you read the fine print and realizing they're charging you, you know, 500% interest and you're never going to get out of debt the rest of your life. It's pretty similar to having a king because he told them the fine print is if you have a king, then he's going to ask for your sons and daughters as his servants, as his army, as his commanders. And, and if you have a king, he's going to ask for your best. He's going to ask for the best of your livestock. He's going to ask for the best of your food from your labors. And eventually, you're going to wind up becoming slaves to the king. So know that that's, that's the deal. So in 1 Samuel chapter 8, starting with verse 19, it says this. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no. But there shall be a king over us, that we may also be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey their voice and make them a king. So let me point out just a few things in this verse. First one is this. It says that they wanted to be like all nations. They wanted to be like all nations. And graduates, let me talk to you specifically for a moment. You are going to feel this pressure tremendously to be like everybody else when you go off to college. There is going to be this pressure, unlike you've ever felt it before, to blend in, to fit in. I mean, we get advertisements all the time of you should dress this way, you should look this way, you should eat this thing, uh, you should hang out with these people. And, and, and it tells us, you know, movies, TVs, advertisements, all these things are showing us this is how you should live. But it doesn't necessarily line up with how God tells us we should live. So if you find yourself wanting to be like all the other people you want to be normal, don't. It's okay not to be normal. It's okay to stick out. In fact, it's a good thing to stick out. Because yes, while we live in this world, the Bible says we're not citizens of this world. We are citizens of heaven, right? And if we're citizens of heaven, then we should look a little strange on this planet. We should stick out a little bit. We shouldn't go with the flow and everything because we follow God. We don't follow media. We don't follow culture. We follow God. So it's okay to stick out. That's all right. Embrace it. It's okay to be not normal. Next thing I want to point out is that it says they wanted a king to judge us and to go before them and to fight their battles. When you think about that, this request is ridiculous. I mean, they had God as their king. 
the creator of the universe, God who never lost a battle, never lost a fight, God who was perfect, who knew exactly how to judge them, who knew how to go before them. And, uh, and now all of a sudden they're like, no, we want something else, right? We want somebody we can see, we can feel, we can touch. And to God, I just wonder like if he just kind of laughed when that request came in. Like, really? You want a king? You want a little guy who wears a crown, who, who wears a robe? I mean, to him, it must have sounded like, oh, you want a mascot. Like, I can get you the Burger King guy. You know, he's available. We can have him lead you into battle and fight for you. Is this really what you want? Because compared to me, this king is going to be nothing. This king is going to have no power because he's human. He has weaknesses. He gives in to temptations. He has errors. He has flaws. But they wanted a king to judge them. They wanted a king to fight their battles. They were putting their hope in a man, in a mere mortal. But you know, we're still faced with that same choice today. We're still faced with that same choice today. You may not get to personally decide uh, who is your boss or who your governor is or who your president is, but you do get to decide who your king is. Each one of us gets to decide who our king is. And I want God fighting my battles. I want God going before me. I want, I want God leading me to victory. I want God to be my king. So if you find yourself putting your hope and your trust in a man or a woman more than God, something is wrong. And you're setting yourselves up for failure. You chose the wrong king. If your hope is in a boss, if your hope is in a president, if your hope is even in a pastor, then your hope is in the wrong place. Because each of those people is a human with limitations and weaknesses. Our hope needs to be in Jesus. Make Jesus your king. Allow him to be your judge. Allow him to fight your battles. Allow him to go before you. And so the next part of this verse, it says, God tells them, all right, make them a king. Give, give them what they want. So rejected as king, God graciously gives his people what they ask for. He gives them a king. Now, I'm not sure if grace is the right use, word to use here. Uh, because, I mean, if you've ever had kids before, and your kids, they do something, and you tell them to stop, right? Have you ever done that before? You, you tell them to stop, like, don't do that. And then you keep telling them to stop, you keep telling them to stop. Eventually, you get to the point of, all right, let's see what happens. Uh, we'll let you do it. And I, I remember doing that with our daughter, Ella. One day after the meal, she sat there with the, the cup that she had finished off all the juice, and she started sucking on the cup, like suction it to her face. And I tell her, Ellie, you got to stop. Okay, next meal, same thing, suctioned onto her face. I'm like, Ellie, you got to stop. That is going, it's going to hurt you. Like, it's going to mess you up. Okay, you know, puts it down. She keeps doing it, and I'm like, hey, Ella, I've been there before. I wound up with a huge bruise on my face, and I look stupid for the next week, so don't do that. It's going to bruise your face. And eventually, she kept doing it, so I was like, okay, no, stop don't, you know, and just, I let her continue on with it, and the next day she wakes up, and she's got like four lips on her face, because she's suctioned this thing to her face, and, and it's the same thing with God, it's like, they, they kept asking, we want a king, it's going to be bad for you, we want a king, you're going to wind up as slaves, eventually, I wouldn't say this is grace, but it was more tough love, you got to find out on your own, you're going to find out that, that this isn't a good idea, that you are going to fail, church, let me just throw this out there, be thankful God doesn't answer all of your prayers. Because we, 
we pray about some dumb things sometimes. And, and even the good things that we're praying about, we don't know the outcomes that would happen if God answered your prayers. And, and so we, we pray a lot, and that's good. Continue praying, but be thankful God doesn't answer all of them because sometimes it would end up harming us rather than helping us. So God gives them some tough love. He gives them a king, and, and clearly this story isn't starting off on the right foot. And for those of you who have read ahead and you've read your Bible, you know that this story doesn't end well. It doesn't end with a happily ever after. But, but what I want to focus on this morning is the beginning of this story. Because even though God gives them some tough love and he gives them what he wants, give them, gives them what they want, he doesn't select a bad king. He doesn't say, all right, I'm going to find the worst king possible to prove him wrong and put him in that position. He doesn't do that. He sets them up for success. He tries to give them the best that he can the best that they have to offer to be their king. And uh, the first king of Israel is King Saul. So I want to look at his origin story this morning. So uh, again, keeping in 1 Samuel, we're going to look in there quite a bit today. In chapter 9, verse 2, it says this. And Kish had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. So here's Saul. Here's Saul. He's literally the handsomest in the land. What a title, right? That's kind of nice. He's the handsomest in the land. He's a standout among his people, and uh, he's a head taller than everybody else. He was probably related to the King's writers. Um, You know, so this is just, he's a handsome man. He's a handsome man. You ever meet somebody who's just blessed? I mean, just blessed. Isn't it annoying? Like, that's just so frustrating when it just seems like everything goes right for these people. And, uh, Saul was that guy. He was good looking. I mean, he was probably, you know, the guy who was selected first in gym class all the time. He probably rode up to school on the nicest donkey. I mean, he was probably the guy that all the girls wanted to date. Like, that was Saul. That's who he was. He was a blessed man. He didn't do anything to deserve it. He was just born that way. And as you continue reading the story, uh, one day all of Saul's family's donkeys wandered off. Didn't know where they went. Didn't know where to find them. It's like the modern day equivalent of losing your keys, right? Anybody ever do that before? You lose your keys, you don't know where to find them, and then you, you go to your mom for advice, like, mom, where are my keys? You know, they give you that, that nice advice of, well, they got to be somewhere. Thanks, mom. Appreciate that. Didn't know that. You know, then they, she takes it a step further and says, well, it's not like they sprouted legs and ran off. But in this case, for Saul, his did sprout legs and run off, and so he had no idea where those donkeys were. They could have been anywhere. So he starts systematically just checking place to place. He didn't know north, south, east, or west. And he was looking for these donkeys. And it just kind of felt like a pointless journey because he didn't know which direction they had gone. He wasn't getting any leads. Has anybody ever been there before where you just feel like you're wandering aimlessly, like you don't know where you're supposed to be going, like these tires are spinning? Because it's interesting. It says when Saul did this, uh, he thought he was looking for donkeys. But as you read the story, you realize that God was actually setting him up for a divine encounter. God had bigger plans. So maybe if you feel like you're wandering aimlessly this morning, perhaps God is setting you up for a divine encounter. So Saul's looking for these donkeys. He's getting nowhere. Finally, he comes to a town and somebody says, you know what? I don't know where your donkeys are, but I know in the next town, there's a man of God there. There is a prophet. At that time, they were called seers because he spoke with God and saw things that no one else did. So he said, why don't you go check with the man of God in the next town? So Saul goes into the next town, and the first person he sees is this guy named Samuel. 
And so he goes up to Samuel and he asks, hey, do you know where the man of God is? Do you know where the seer is? And in verse 19 of chapter 9, it says this, Samuel answered Saul, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for today you shall eat with me. And in the morning I will let you go and I will tell you all that is on your mind. As for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not set your mind on them, for they have been found. So to his surprise, when he goes in and finds this man of God, this man of God was expecting him. Samuel was expecting Saul to be there. Not only was he expecting him, but he invited him to eat with him. He invited him to a seat of honor. And if you continue reading the story, they said it gave Saul the best food. So here's this young guy. He's handsome. He's tall. He's blessed. Everything he does just seems to prosper. And, and then all of a sudden he walks into this town and now he's sitting at the head table with the man of God. He's getting the best food. And I love his response to all this, Saul's response in verse 21. It says this, Saul answered, am I not a Benjaminite from the least of the tribes of Israel? And is not my clan the humblest of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then would you have spoken to me in this way? So not only is he, not only is he handsome, tall, and blessed, but the man is humble. The man is humble. That's not a combination you see very often. He feels unworthy to eat with the man of God. He feels unworthy to have the seat of honor because he comes from humble means. Now, often we like to criticize people who, who look better than us, who have more money than us, who have more things than us, just so we can feel better about ourselves. But it's really hard to criticize people who have all that and are humble and are nice and are kind. It's hard to do that. So that was Saul. He was extremely blessed and he was extremely humble. So here's the big deal today. Here's, here's what I want you to get. And we're going to see this as it goes forward. Here's what I want you to focus on. I, I want you to focus on uh, how Saul responds to blessing. I want you to focus on how Sp Saul responds to blessing. Often, especially during graduation, uh, we give the advice, you know, how you respond to failure really determines, you know, do you get back up? Do you keep going? But I don't think I've ever looked at before how we respond to blessing. How, we, how do we respond to blessing? Because that's, that may even be a bigger deal than how we respond to failure. So in Saul's blessing of this divine encounter, being placed in the seat of honor, he responds with humility, saying, I don't deserve this. I, I, I am the least of all these people. I'm unworthy to be in the company of a man of God. I'm unworthy to be in, in the seat of an honor. Right? It wasn't like Saul sat down next to Samuel and you know, pulled out his phone, took a selfie with Samuel and posted it and, and was just like, look who I'm sitting next to at the head table today. That wasn't him. That wasn't him. He felt unworthy to be there. And so here's the immediate response to Saul's humility. This is God's response. Chapter 10, verse 1, it says this. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and he poured it on Saul's head and kissed him and said, has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of the surrounding enemies. So God's response to Saul, to Saul's humility, is more blessing. More blessing. He anoints him king over Israel. Saul didn't come asking for it. He didn't come expecting it. All he was trying to do was find some missing donkeys. Now he has a seat at the head table. He's talking to the man of God, and he's anointed king over Israel. What happens next? Verse 9 says this, when when he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave Saul another heart. And all these signs came to pass that day. 
When they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied. Saul began to prophesy among them. And when all who knew him previously saw how he prophesied with the prophets, the people said to one another, What has come over this son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? So his response to God's response to Saul's humility was more blessing. Not only did he make him king, but he gave him a new heart. He, he gave him new giftings. He began to prophesy. God didn't simply just call Saul, but he equipped him for his calling. A little side note here. If God calls you, he is also going to equip you. If God calls you, he's also going to equip you. This morning, if you're sitting there and you feel God calling you to something, maybe it's to lead a life group or to lead a Bible study. God's going to equip you. As you step out in faith in that calling, he's going to provide the right people. He, he's going to provide the right resources and the right time. And he's going to work out all the details. If God has called you to, to do an outreach in your community, God is going to also equip you. He's going to provide you with the people to get the job done. He's going to provide you with the need that needs to be met. If God has called you to go on a missions trip or maybe to, to give an amount to missions that doesn't line up with your budget, God's going to meet that need. God's going to provide that money as you step out in faith because God, if God calls you, he's going to equip you. Just like he did Saul. He calls him to be king, and then he immediately he gives him a new heart. He gives him new giftings. And now watch. How does Saul respond to this blessing, right? We've got to pay attention to that. So back to the story. After Samuel anoints Saul as king, they have to go and, and make it public. So Samuel calls together all of the nation of Israel and all the leaders, and he brings them together. And, and uh, you know, he, they begin to select. It's from the tribe of Benjamin. It's from a son of Kish. And eventually the, the name of Saul is selected. And so Samuel goes to introduce the new king, right? And I can kind of picture it. He, he probably gets up in front of all the nations and he's like, ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce to you to the first king of Israel. He's the handsomest in the land. He's head and shoulders above the rest. He, he is the first king of Israel. He's your new leader. He's a Benjaminite. Let me introduce you to Saul. And it was crickets. Saul didn't come out. Saul didn't come in strutting his new robe and his new crown. Instead, verse 22 of chapter 10 says this. So they inquired again of the Lord, is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, behold, Saul has hidden himself among the baggage. It's interesting that he chose to hide in the moment when he was supposed to have the stage. It says, then they ran and they took him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from the shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all the people, do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among all the people. And the people shouted, long live the king. Long live the king. So again, Saul's response to blessing was humility. He didn't come out and tell the people to bow before him. He didn't come out and commission a statue to be made of him. Instead, he was hidden, hiding in the baggage. He didn't want the stage. He didn't want the throne. So I'm sensing a pattern here, right? God blesses Saul. Saul responds in humility. God blesses Saul. Saul responds in humility. God blesses Saul. Saul responds in humility. And God continues to give him more and more. And, and this pattern makes sense. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Matthew 23, 12 says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And that's what happened to Saul. 
as he humbled himself, God exalted him. He gave him a bigger platform. He, he gave him new talents. He gave him new giftings. But of course, anytime you're exalted, anytime you're lifted up, there's always naysayers. There's always people who are going to come against you as, as God blesses you more. There's always going to be people who come against you. And that's what happened with Saul. People were coming against him and saying, who is Saul? You know, why, why should he lead us? And they didn't believe in him. Until one day, an enemy was attacking one of the cities of Israel. And, and they had no way out. They had no way out. They had no one to save them. And word eventually got back, back to Saul. And when Saul heard about this in chapter 11, verse 6, it says this, and the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words, and his anger was greatly kindled. So more blessing. More blessing happened here. The Spirit of God came upon Saul, this guy who was just timid and hiding in the baggage not that long ago. And, and now the full Spirit uh, of God is on Saul, and it changes him into a new person. Again, you can continue reading the rest of the story. You can read it this afternoon. Uh, but as the Spirit of God comes on him, He's no longer timid, shy, hiding Saul. Now all of a sudden the Spirit of God comes upon him and, and he, he is, has this righteous anger on him. He goes and he assembles an army. And that army, he goes and he commands that army. He tells them, you've got to split up into three different companies. And that day Saul wins the victory and he destroys the enemy. And let me say this. As Pastor mentioned earlier, God still feels, fills people with the Spirit of God today. We see it all over the book of Acts. And when the Spirit of God comes alive in you, He gives you the boldness to do things you never thought possible. He gives you the boldness to overcome the enemy. He gives you the boldness to go share Jesus with that coworker that you just never thought you could before. He gives you the boldness to go and pray for the sick. He gives you the boldness to reach the world. So now seeing Saul as a victor, people started to rally around him. People started saying, like, I knew it. I knew, I knew Saul was the guy. I knew Saul was the king. And, and then they started thinking, like, hey, where are those naysayers? Where are those people who didn't believe in him? Like, and they started advising Saul, like, make an example out of those naysayers. Like, show them how powerful you are. Put them to death. So again, how does, how does Saul respond to this blessing? He's victorious. 1 Samuel 11, verse 13 says this, But Saul said, Not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. So he gives the credit where credit is due. He gives it to God. As you continue reading, it says that uh, he, he made sacrifices that day to God, and he rejoiced in the victory that God had given them because he recognized that though his title was king, Saul was not the true king of Israel. God was the true king of Israel. So Saul's response to victory, God, Saul's response to this blessing was to give God credit, to, to give God praise. He, really, he realized he wasn't the reason for victory because if Saul would have just taken charge, he would have been hiding. He would have been shaking. He wouldn't have known what to do. But when the Spirit of God came on him, he was powerful. He was bold. He was able to assemble this army. He was able to make a plan. He was able to have victory. And so he knew that the win wasn't his that day. He knew that the win was God's. And so he praised God. I mean, Saul's got this down. And for those of you who know the end of the story, this is not the King Saul that ends the day. But, but King Saul, he's got it going on. He's got this process down. He's given God the praise. And God keeps heaping more and more blessing on him. 
Think about the blessings in your life. Think about all the ways you've been blessed. The fact that you woke up this morning and you got breath in your lungs, that is a blessing. The fact you got food in your refrigerator is a blessing. A roof over your head and a bed to sleep in is a blessing. Family. And I'm blessed every day that I get to spend with my kids. I'm blessed every day that I get to spend with my wife. I'm so thankful for, for family. A job. A place where we can earn, we can continue uh, to work. Now, we could keep going. That's just the beginning of the list. But I encourage you, think about all the blessings God's given you. It doesn't have to stop there. You could go on and on of all the different ways that God has blessed you. Even on your worst day, even when everything's going wrong, we are still a blessed people. So take time today to recognize each of those blessings and recognize where they come from. They come from God. Without God, we don't have breath in our lungs, food on your table, a roof over your head, family to go to, or a job to support you. See, the proper response to blessing is praise. The proper response to blessing is praise. This morning, we praise God through song. Well, that's not the only way we praise God. We, we praise him through tithes and offerings, through giving God back and trusting him with a portion of what he's already trusted to us. We, we praise God through doing our best, whether that's your job, raising your kids, or volunteering, or whatever you might find yourself at. You do your best, and that gives glory to God. We, we praise God by being a blessing to other people and, and returning those blessings. So the proper response to blessing is praise. So after this victory, I'll give you kind of the rest of the story, Samuel decides to retire. He decides, I'm old and gray. I'm hanging it up. Uh, I'm I'm done. Uh, but before he goes, he gives, them, he gives King Saul these final words of advice. And he says, you know, I've been around for a long time. I've seen a lot of things. And I've studied a lot. And, and I know that every time that as a nation we followed God and we honored him, good things happened. But I also know that every time that we decided to go our own way and do our own thing, bad things happened. So he tells Saul, my final words of advice to you, follow God because good things are going to happen. Don't follow yourself because bad things are going to happen. So that's what he tells him. So now as we continue, Saul continues to fight battles. The Philistines come again. And he goes out and he has victory over them. And then uh, the next battle he was going in, things weren't going so great. And he wasn't winning. So he says, all right, we need to go to God and we need to figure out what's going on. We need to figure out what's wrong. So he, he goes and, and his command was to wait for Samuel. So Samuel apparently was just like semi-retired at this time, not fully retired. And so he, he, he was supposed to wait for Samuel because it was Samuel's job to offer the sacrifice to God. And uh, Saul's waiting, and he's waiting. Nothing's happening, and Samuel's not showing up. And eventually he comes to the point of, you know what? Samuel's not here, but somebody's got to do it. So I will humbly accept this new role that I've just given to myself to be the intercessor between man and God. Well, the problem was that wasn't Saul's role. That was Samuel's role. And Saul that day decided to overstep the blessings that God had given him. And pride began to build up in him, thinking he could do whatever he wanted to. And he began to, to make this sacrifice to God. And at the moment he did that, it said Samuel walked in the door. And he said, what are you doing? And that day God took the kingdom away. He took the anointing away from King Saul. Because for the first time, for the first time ever, Saul didn't respond to blessing with humility or with praise, but he responded with pride. That moment that he made that sacrifice and, and stepped outside of God's blessing, 
he decided to make himself king rather than God king. See, we need to respond to blessing with praise, not with pride. I like the way one pastor put it. Every blessing we don't turn into praise has the potential to turn into pride. Every blessing we don't turn into praise has the potential to turn into pride. Church, we're in a dangerous place if we're receiving all the praise, but we're not giving any. Right? That's a dangerous place. If you're only receiving praise and not giving any, uh, pride is going to be built up. And for the rest of Saul's life, he, he lived a life of pride, not a life of praise. The rest of his life, he lived believing that he was the king and forgetting that God was the king. And he fought for that throne. He fought, he fought for that throne. He, he disobeyed laws. He, he, he tried to kill anybody who came between him and his throne. He began to lead out of pride rather than humility. Gone was the boy who felt unworthy to sit at the table. Gone was the boy who had hidden the baggage. Gone was the king who had praised God for the victory. So it was a sad story. It started so well. But I think we can learn from that. So this morning, who's your king? Who's the king? Who are you going to make king of your life? Are you going to make yourself king? Or are you going to make Jesus king? See, Jesus, uh, one day in John chapter 6, it said that there's 5,000 people men plus women and children with nothing to eat. And Jesus gave thanks and he broke with the bread they had. They had five loaves of bread and two fish. And as they handed it out, everyone ate. Everyone ate and there was even leftovers. And it said at the end of that, that the people saw Jesus. They saw that the miracle he had performed. And they were going to take Jesus by force and make him their king. So Jesus snuck away. He went and hid in the mountains because Jesus didn't want to be their political king. He wanted to be the king of their hearts. He, he wanted people to come to him willingly. He didn't want people to be forced to serve him. One of my favorite passages, it must be because I keep coming back to it all the time, and, and actually, worship team, you can, you can come on up. Philippians chapter 2, verse, verse 6 is this. Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. If anyone had the right to be prideful, it was Jesus. I mean, he was God. He was God. But yet he humbled himself and became human. And not only that, he, he lived a perfect life and he humbled himself to death. And allowed himself to die on a cross. Remember that verse that says, God exalts those who humble himself? Because Jesus humbled himself more than any other person, he went from heaven all the way to the grave. It said that, that God exalted him to the highest place. He gave him the name Jesus. That the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that he was that he is our king. That's the king that we serve. Not a king who is prideful, but a king who is humble. A king who loves you enough to die for you. A king who is also a servant. So I ask you again this morning, who is your king? Who are you putting your hope in? Is your hope in a relationship? Is your, is your hope in someone's approval? Is your hope in a politician? Is your hope in a person? 
Who's your hope in this morning? See, the moment that Saul thought he knew better was the moment that he chose himself as king over God. Who's calling the shots in your life? Are you following God's commands or are you leading the way? How are you responding to blessings in life? Are you giving the praise back to God or do you feel like you deserve them? Do you feel like you've earned them? Now, I don't know the answers to these questions in your life, but I know that God is speaking to your heart right now. I know that God's working. And church, let me encourage you with this. When you choose to follow God, when you choose to make him your king, there's blessings attached to that. That's not why we serve him. But God is going to continue to give you more. God is going to continue to bless you with, with more. It may not always be fun more. It may be you're leading more people, right? That may scare you to death. But God has your best interests in mind. And he's going to use you to do incredible things. He has a great plan for your life. But you'll never realize that potential until you make him your king. Who's your king this morning? I pray that it's Jesus. I pray that it's Jesus. This morning, if you've never accepted Jesus as your king, you've never made him your savior, then I'd love to pray with you this morning. We're going to have a time at these altars. And if you, that's you this morning, why don't you come down and find me? I would love to pray with you. And, and God's going to show you some incredible things today. But as we go back into a time of worship, these altars are open. Maybe you have made Jesus your king, but there's some more things you need to deal with. There's some pride that you need to take care of. Or you just want to spend some time in his presence. I encourage you, come down through these altars, find a place, and let's chase after God together. Let's chase after our king. Let's give him the praise that he deserves. So this morning, would you stand with me? Uh, I'm going to pray. Again, these altars are open. Uh, feel free to be dismissed. I know there's a lot of activities with graduations and things go going on today. So if you need to head out, by all means, but I encourage you, let's go after Jesus. Let's give him praise. Let's meet him at these altars this morning. Jesus, you are the king. You are the greatest. And the competition is not even close. You are all by yourself. There's no one like you. There is no one greater. God, I want you to fight my battles. I want you to go before me. God, I pray that, that today as we chase after you, God, that you would give new hearts this morning. God, that you would, the spirit of God would come down on this place, would come down on this people, and they would begin to do things with boldness that they've never had before. They would reach the city for you. God, do it again. God, do it again. Move in our hearts. So God, this morning as we respond, as we respond in humility, as we respond in praise, God, would you bless us as we seek you. We don't seek you for the blessings. We seek you for you. But God, would you reward that as you did with King Saul. We chase after you today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go after God this morning, church. I give you my life. I give you my trust. Oh, Jesus. You are my God. You are enough. Oh, Jesus.
lay down my life, I take up my cross, Jesus, oh, you are my God, whatever the 